Please turn with me to Genesis chapter 10, starting at verse 31. This passage can also be found on page 7 of your bulletin. These are the sons of Shem, by their clans and languages, in their territories and nations. These are the clans of Noah's sons, according to their lines of descent within their nations. From these, the nations spread out over the earth after the flood. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As men moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city, the tower that reaches to the heavens, so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that the men were building. The Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from over all, all the earth and they stopped building the city. That is why it is called the city of Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there, the Lord scattered from, the, from them over the whole face of the earth. This is the word of the Lord. <clears throat> I have to confess uh, that it's a little awkward to preach on the Tower of Babel on, on this uh, day. And we actually have to talk about it and think about whether or not this is appropriate. Um, it was not intentional. Um, and yet, you know, it's such a, such a powerful passage, um, just unrelated from the day. Um, we're going to go right into this. The book of Genesis is the book of beginnings, and one of the biggest themes running through the book of Genesis ever since Adam and Eve were driven out of the Garden of Eden is life together. Life together, unity, in a sense. It's really why we have cities, and, and we see this in this famous narrative of the Tower of Babel, and this passage is gonna teach us three things. One, the purpose of the tower. Two, the significance or the meaning of that tower. And lastly, then God's response to the towers. We have the purpose of the tower, the meaning of the tower, and then God's response to the tower. First, we're gonna look at the purpose of the tower. At the tail end of chapter 10, you see the table of nations. These are the generations that came after Noah and they spread out after the flood. And chapter 11 begins with the world having one language, one common speech. In other words, what do you see? There's unity, unity. Verse one says they're spreading around the world, but then you get to verse two and they start to settle down. So they're spreading out and they're spreading out. And then verse two, they start to settle down. And verse three, they say to each other, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They use bricks instead of stone and tar instead of mortar. And verse 4, they said, let's build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens. Now think about this. Before, they were scattering. Now, they say, let's get together. Unity. Come. Let us. Before, they were vulnerable. Now, they says, we're going to be stronger this way. We're going to have power this way. Before, they were, they were completely spread out. Now, there's specific innovations that were allowing them to build faster and bigger and stronger. And so they said, hey, we're going to realize our full potential. We're going to go higher. This is going to allow us to build higher. So instead of spreading out, they started moving up. Now, what you're seeing here is social progress. 
You're seeing societal progress, advancement. Building a tower, it allowed them now to move up, to get concentrated, to consolidate instead of moving out. And they began to see their own potential. And verse 4, they said, we're going to build a tower, and it's going to reach all the way to the heavens. Before, they were simple. Now, there's complexity. Before, they were loose. Now, they're aggregating. They're consolidating. And the author is trying to show us in a subtle way that there's something, something really, really interesting Here you have a people, and they're advancing. They're advancing socially and politically and technologically. They're rising, and they're increasing in potential. But there's something deeper, something much more spiritually deeper going on. And one of the textual clues that you see, it's very subtle. Verse 1, it says they moved eastward. What does that mean? You see, when Adam and Eve, when when they chose to reject God, The book of Genesis says that they were driven from the Garden of Eden and an angel was placed at the east side of the gate. An angel with a flaming sword, a cherubim, on the east side of the gate. Meaning now you are out. Now you are away from God. Now you are distant from God. You're an outsider now. You're a stranger to God. To be east is almost an idiom for being relationally far from God. And now you see here in chapter 11, and there's, that's, that comes up over and over, but chapter 11, the generations after Noah, what do you see? There's unity and consolidation and aggregation, and there's now security and safety and innovation, but they're eastward. They're eastward, away from God. And remember, they're not wildlings, these people. These people are not lawless people. Verse 4, let's build a city. What does a city represent? A city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we can make a name for ourselves. What, what is a city? It means that they want order. These people want law. They want order. They want security. They want justice, they're saying. So, so scholars will tell you that these people, they're not building an apartment complex. They're not building a condo. What they're building is a ziggurat. It's a temple. Now, what's a temple? Temples were built so that people can have connection with God. They can have access to God. It's why they were so high. It's why they were so tall. You have to build it. You have to work. You climb up. You ascend the temple. There, there's a priest, and they offer sacrifices. Why? Because the people, they knew that the inherent was this need uh, uh, to, to connect with God. And, and so, basically, what's religion? Religion is this. You want access? Then you've got to work for it. You want access to God? You have to work. You have to obey. You've got to earn your way in. Now, lots of people in the church, they still think that this is the way I'm talking about people in the church, not people outside the church. Lots of people in the church who've grown up in the church, they still think that this is the way to get to God. It's through serving and working, through obedience. You know what you're doing? You're building your own tower. You're trying to build your own way to get access to God. The actual literal phrase that they use in verse 4 is, let's build a tower whose top is at heaven, whose top actually peeks through. It's in the heavens. There's entry. There's a gateway. This is an access. This is how you get in. We're going to work and build and use our technology and, and reach our potential. And as we reach it, God's going to accept us. You see that? In other words, at the heart of all their consolidating, at the heart of all the unifying and working and innovating was what? They sought physical security because they lacked spiritual security. They sought spiritual intimacy 
Let's build a tower that gets us to God because they lack spiritual intimacy with God. They lack spiritual access to God. Now think about this. When God created man, when God created Adam and Eve, he blessed them, and he actually gave them three ordinances. They're almost like commands, three commands. Genesis 1, be fruitful. Then I want you to increase in number and fill the earth and subdue it. So there are three things. Be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth, and subdue, rule the earth. Rule over it. So even before the fall, even before sin entered into our lives, they were called to work. They were called to spread out. They were called to bring all the nations under the, under the glory of God. Then you're going to have real security. Then you're going to have real safety. Then you're going to find real unity. But because of sin, now there's brokenness and violence, danger, oppression, and it's everywhere, everywhere they went. And as they're spreading out, they realize, wow, we're, it's really insecure. It's a dangerous world. It's bad to be alone here. Let's unify. We need security. We need protection. We need to, we need to come together and put our, put our heads together. We need God, so let's build this tower so we're going to build it and build it until we're going to get to God ourselves because we lost God. Let's make a name for ourselves. Then God will see us. What are we saying here? Why are we here? Why are we in Philadelphia? The big city, it's the same reasons. The city is where people come to make a name for themselves. It's where we find a sense of togetherness, where anybody can go into the city. I mean, you could be in, in, a, in a, a suburban or maybe in a rural place. You may be considered an outcast in some ways. There's lots of types of people that would, that would consider themselves an outcast. But when you go into the city, you will always find thousands of people just like you. You find togetherness and unity there. It's where people come together to build. So you have technology centers, scientific centers, financial centers, commerce, centers of commerce and art and music. It's where people go to reach their fullest potential. It's where people go to move up. But the author here is saying that they're doing this all apart from God. The truth is they're doing it because they're apart from God. There's nothing wrong with the city. I mean, we're taught, and we've been taught over the years, um, you know, ever since the, you would say the mid-1900s, the city's been looked upon as this bad place. It's where the bad people go. It's where all the danger and the crime. So you see lots of barriers to the city and barriers in the city as a result. Adam and Eve, they're driven out from the Garden of Eden. Why? To build cities. There's nothing inherently wrong with the city. If you look at the end of the Bible, if you look at the end of the world, what is heaven? Is it a return to the garden? Is it a return to the garden of Eden? Is that what you see being restored? No. Heaven is a city of God coming down on, on us. Heaven is a restored city, the city of God. At the end of the world, what do you have? It's, it's found, we just read it in, a, in the call to worship today. If you look at the end of the Bible, essentially, you have a city and there's a river running along the middle of the city, and then there's a tree of life on either side. Right in the middle of the city, what is that? It's from Eden. You know what that's telling you? The ultimate city, the final end of the world, is the Garden of Eden when it reaches its full potential, when it reaches its ultimate potential in the name of God. And it's flourishing, it's a tree. It's flourishing and thriving and healthy, lots of life. It's a tree. 
Now, right in the middle, right in the middle of the city, so there's safety. There's no pollution. It's secure. That's what Adam and Eve were called to build. That's what we were called to build and steward in the world. And yet, they failed. The city was supposed to be a place of refuge. It was supposed to be a place of justice. It was supposed to embody, in many ways, the character of God in all of his diversity. It's where you go to find sanctuary. There's supposed to be justice and security and order and peace all underneath the law. And when you encapsulate all those words, you put it all together, the Hebrews, they used a wonderful word to kind of capture all of that in one. They called it shalom. It was more than just peace. It was peace in every dimension of life. And you can find that in the city. Jerusalem, its root word is what? Salem, shalom. There's supposed to be a place of creativity and art and music and expression and learning. I mean, think about it. If you thought yourself to be a wonderful singer out in the suburbs, when you come into the city, there are thousands of you. Outcasts find a home, find sanctuary. The poor can find sanctuary. The marginalized can find sanctuary in the city. There are less racial barriers in the city. There are less cultural barriers and language barriers in the city. Come, let us build a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens. That's the purpose of the tower. Now, what's the significance of the tower? In verse 4, what does it mean then to make a name for yourself? They say, come, let us build a tower build a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so we can make a name for ourselves. What does that mean? Simply put, it means to find worth, to find value, to find a sense of meaning, a source of meaning in something. Why? The Bible says that because we were born without a name and you can't name yourself, we're constantly looking outside of ourselves for approval. We're constantly looking outside of ourselves for validation. Now, there are people in this room that are saying, I'm not like that, not me. I don't care what other people think. Really? Really? Then why do you overwork? Really? When you go on a first date, why is it that you're always trying to show off? Show off what you have. Show off who you are, what you do. I mean, anybody who's a self-respecting writer or singer or in some professional trade, if you're an attorney or a doctor, they're not going to sit there and say, I don't care what other people think. You know why? Because you know and you expect the only way you're going to grow in your career or advance to your fullest potential is to constantly get validated from other people, to constantly be reviewed by other people. By the way, this is why the city is such a dangerous place. It's not just because of the violence and the crime that you see overtly. Yes, there's violence. Yes, there's crime. But every day, careers are being murdered. Reputations are being assassinated. Everyday relationships are being taken advantage of and used. Why? Because people are trying to move up. People are trying to advance on their own at all costs. They're trying to make a name for themselves. God says, I want you to spread out. I want you to spread out because the more people know me, the more they're going to find healing. The more people come to know me, they're going to experience joy. They're going to experience and receive salvation. That's the meaning of the table of nations. At the end of chapter 10, verse 31 and 32, people are spreading out. There's supposed to be diversity in culture that advances the glory of God. And yet people say, no, it's dangerous out there. I'm scared. 
I want unity for my own sake. I need people to come together. I need protection. I need security. And, and, and we're going to build. We're going to build walls. We're going to build in a way where we're, we're going to be impenetrable. And so they exploited the city to make a name for themselves. Right now, everyone here is building a tower in their heart. Everyone is building a city, and they're fortifying it with a tower that reaches in their mind to heaven. Everyone's building their own source of form of protection. Everyone's building their own form of self-preservation. Everyone's building and and equipping themselves, gathering people around them, forming coalitions, and, and strategizing and calculating. They're building some type of tower, and that tower is always built around what we worship. Now you say, tower, hold on. You said that was a temple. That was then. That was primitive. We're much less primitive today. We don't have temples anymore. I don't, uh, what, I don't know what you mean by temple. Really? Think about this. The city is the main place where people go to find themselves. Who am I? What is my potential? And it's where we go to build. We build our careers. We build relationships. We build our reputations. We build wealth here. That's our security, we say. We go and we meet spouses there. And, and we build families there. We build homes there. That's how we make a name for ourselves today. And the author is saying is, this, it's not just a physical thing. It's not just an emotional thing. It's not a psychological longing. This is not just an evolution thing. It's a spiritual thing. The tower was a temple. If you look at the tallest building in any city, at the center of any city, if you look at the tallest building, those are our modern temples of worship. Those are the gods that we represent. Those are the gods that we worship, the god of finance, the god of, the god of commerce, the god of trade or fashion or art. You see that? It's at the center of any city, the god of beauty or education or medicine. And if that's why you're here, if that's what you're here to build, you need to listen to this because, because uh, that's what you're worshiping. It's very important because every city is going to promise you that if you come and serve the God of power and wealth and, and, and uh, uh, relationships and success, then you will know who you are. Then you're going to have an identity. You're going to have a name. These people say, let's make a name for ourselves. Then you're going to have a name. But these are idols. They're inadequate to support the cosmic desire in our hearts to truly be known and, and find access with God. They are a, a fake imitation and with that come fake promises. And the author is not just saying, this is not just, this is not just uh, something that, that, that is, that is a, a result of evolution. You see, these idols are going to make you sacrifice. So you're going to work and work to build. You're going to pay just like they were building this tower. You're going to work and you're going to pay. And you're going to experience through the process anxiety and highs and lows, depression. Look, look at the text. They said, let's build a tower that reaches the heavens. They're searching for God. These weren't bad people. These were religious people. They were good people, working hard, great work ethic, finding and experiencing and discovering greater potential in themselves. What's wrong with that? They're searching for God. They're longing to be near God. What was wrong with that? It's because they're coming to God on their own terms. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, you have King Saul. And King Saul has been rejected by God. He had disobeyed God and just grieved God. And Samuel, who's the judge, 
God calls him to go find and bear the news to, to, to Saul. And so Samuel is looking for him. And he goes out to meet Saul, but they tell him, Saul's gone down to Carmel. There he set up a monument in his own honor, a monument in his name. Why was Saul rejected? Later, Samuel says this to Saul. This was his, his indictment. You were once small in your own eyes. In other words, why did you need to build this monument? You know why? Because you see yourself as so small, you need to look big in front of others. And Samuel's asking him essentially, is God's approval enough for you? Is God's love enough for you? That means that, I mean, these people, they said, let's build a tower. We're going to build a temple. We're going to worship God. We're going to get there, and we're going to get there on our own. You could be doing everything in God's name and, and even feel close to God and yet be so, so far away because you don't get him. You don't understand. You can't get to him. What's the solution? What's God's response? Verse 5 text says, but the Lord came down. God comes down. And essentially, he disciplines them. And that seems real confusing. It's why this passage is in our series, because we have so many passages throughout the Old Testament where people have turned away from the church, turned away from God because they just don't understand certain passages that are just really, really confusing, almost disturbing. And that, wow, so God, these people are just doing a wonderful thing. They're building this incredible monument, a testament to their own growth and potential. And God comes down and dashes the tower. God comes down and he disciplines them. It's so confusing. It seems a lot, really, really harsh. And a lot of people say, this is the reason why I don't believe in the God of the Bible. He's always so angry. I mean, he's always, he's always disciplining. But I want to submit to you, this is a gracious discipline. God's actually saving them. On one hand, God desires unity. God desires community. Unity among his people. We're designed for unity in a sense. You know why? Because by nature, God is unity. God by nature is Father, Son, Spirit, three persons in one. God by nature is community. God by nature is unity. So there's something, because we're created in his image, there's something inherent in us. We want that. If you're a lonely person today, that's not an ungodly side of you. That's actually a godly need and desire for community and unity. But on the other hand, if you look at this, God's saying in verses 6 and 7, if they think that in their unity they have one language, if they think that having one language they can earn and build their way to me on, on their own, there's no telling what they're going to try to do. This is going to take a lot of left turns. They're doing this on their own terms, their own way. And so what does he do? He confuses their language. What was the original call to them? What did he desire of them? I want you to go and spread out. Multiply, increase, fill the earth, bring all the nations under the glory of God. So it confuses their language. In other words, God's saying, if you come together trying to make a name for yourselves, you're going to end up actually quite the opposite. You come together, if you're just going to work and, and look for unity to build a name for yourselves, you're going to experience isolation, dissonance. There's going to be competition, war. You're not going to have real community. It's going to be fake community at best. You're going to be driven by anxiety personally. It's going to corrode your soul inside. 
You're going to be filled with envy and jealousy, and as a result, you're going to end up just confused, and, and your soul's going to break down, and it's ultimately going to lead to a breakdown in community itself. If you keep trying to build your life, trying to prove yourself over and over, make a name for yourself over, you're going to see a breakdown in your life. So God comes down. He comes down in Genesis 11 to show us the natural cons- consequence of living apart from him. What do we see in the world today? Racial dissonance, political dissonance, gender dissonance and confusion, religious dissonance, wars are being fought over religion, socioeconomic dissonance. No one understands each other. How will that heal? How does that heal? Centuries after this tower, God comes down again. First time he came down, it was like a punishment to them so that the world wouldn't fall into further dissonance than they already had. So it was a punishment, but it was a gracious discipline. But this time around, Jesus Christ comes down. And it's for an even more gracious punishment, one that's going to last. The author of Hebrews chapter 13 says, Jesus Christ, he also suffered outside the city gate to make his people holy through his own blood. To make the people holy through his own blood. What does that mean? In John chapter 2, Jesus goes into the temple. He goes into the temple, and he chases out the merchants, and he chases out the money changers, and, and the Jews demand, what miraculous sign can you show us to prove your authority? In other words, what are they saying? Prove yourself. Make a name for yourself. Who are you? And Jesus says this, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. And the Apostle John, the author of that book, who wrote that text, he includes, but the temple that he had spoken of was his body. The temple is about access to God, about being in with God. That's why we're so desperate inherently in our lives to always get in. It starts very, very young, even as a baby. We're social creatures. We're always wanting to get in. We want to get in with the right people and the right work, the right programs, the right, we, we want, the parents, they want to be around the right people themselves. We're constantly doing that and we're working and working and working to build our lives in this perfect way according to our plan. And the world says, that's the way you got to do it. You got to build. You got to win to get there. But look at Jesus. Jesus Christ is king. When he came down, he was crucified outside the city. The city is about safety, remember? The city is about security. It's about justice and order and community. So to be outside the city is to be now, you don't have security. You don't have insurance. You don't have community. You are completely outcast. You are being left for dead. It's why one time a year, in the ancient times, the high priest would take a goat the goat, and he would symbolically place the sins of the nation on him and then cast him out of the city. We call that the scapegoat. You see that? It represents anyone who's in sin. They deserve isolation. They deserve to be cast out. They deserve the, the insecurity and the danger and the death that awaits outside the city because there's no protection anymore. Now there's just violence and oppression and death. Jesus Christ receives the ultimate isolation and danger and death. First of all, he's crucified outside the city because he would be the true temple that would be destroyed. He's talking about his body. Destroy this temple. 
They're gonna raise it again in three days. The temple represented access. Jesus Christ was left for dead, away from God, away from the temple in Jerusalem. And on the cross, he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's saying this, I'm right now experiencing the ultimate separation from God. This is the ultimate community. This is the ultimate unity. And I'm being torn from this unity, separated from God. And now I'm on the outside and I've lost access. So God no longer sees me. I've lost all validation. I am the ultimate scapegoat because, because the sins of the world have been placed on me. The sins of my people have been placed on me and I've been cast out. This is the ultimate isolation. This is the ultimate danger. This is the ultimate death. I've been left for dead by God, forsaken. I'm no longer safe. Why? Jesus Christ was on the cross to receive the full wrath of God as a penalty for our sins. Jesus Christ lost access to God so that we could have access. Jesus Christ was outcast, why? So that we could be in. Jesus Christ lost safety, not just earthly safety by being crucified outside the city. He lost the cosmic safety that comes with union with God. Why? So that we would receive safety and security. And so he experienced the ultimate isolation so that we could experience unity, union, he became the ultimate scapegoat and said we'd be forgiven, brought into the city, find true sanctuary in the ultimate city. We will be citizens of that city. So when Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's saying, I've lost my father. Do you know it's the one time in all the gospels where God doesn't refer, to, where Jesus doesn't refer to, to God as his father. He says, my God, my God. He lost the father. Why? So the, that means that he lost his name. And if you read that call to worship, what do you see? The fruit of the tree bears 12 fruits. Anytime you see the number 12, he's representing 12 tribes, 12 disciples. It's the church. We are the fruit of the tree. And, our, and his name is on our foreheads. We have a name. The greatest name the most wonderful name, the name above all names. You see that? So on the cross, you see Jesus working and bleeding, just desperate, and then he dies. When you believe in who Jesus is, the king, the king of the universe, the son of God, and you trust what he did on the cross for you, and as a result, you trust that God knows you, that he loves you. Now you have access to God. You know, what that, you know what that means? Jesus Christ gave up his right as a son so you could have a son and you would have his name. You don't have to work and work and work to make a name for yourself because that's going to be inadequate to support the cosmic desire and need that you've had from the beginning. Now you have that name. In Acts chapter 2, God comes down again. Jesus ascends, he promises to send them the counselor, the Holy Spirit. God comes down again at Pentecost, what happens? Everyone gathered there is, is, is really from, people from all over the world because it's a very, very special time in, in the Jewish calendar. But what, these people who are gathered, what happens? Suddenly there's wind and fire, what is that? It's the presence of God. 
And all of a sudden, everyone heard the gospel spoken in all the different languages in the world. What does that mean? The presence of God. God came down again, except this time, even though there are people from all over the world speaking different languages, now there's unity. Now there's oneness. Only through the gospel can you have real diversity on one hand and real spiritual union because those who have union with Christ have union with one another. You see, in Babel, they all spoke one language, but it was futile. They didn't get the purpose of the city. They didn't get the purpose of of God's call to them, and so they were confused. Now, because of the gospel, they all spoke different languages, but they understood each other. At the end of chapter 10, what is this? At the end of chapter 10, what we saw was the table of nations. What you're seeing is now the table of nations being redeemed. Before the table of nations evolved into what? It morphed into, we're gonna clump together, we're gonna build a tower, we're gonna get to God on their own. Christ has come, he is saved, he is redeemed. The people have received the Holy Spirit. And through that, you now see many languages, different tribes and tongues all over the world. Before, it was all about unity to make a name for yourself. Now, there's diversity, but oneness. Oneness in Christ. And now, it was a source of all the mission that would take place afterwards. They were spreading out all over the world. The birth of the church came from a deep oneness, a oneness that came from the personal experience of a very rational truth in the gospel. And as Christ became their savior, as Christ became their king, they dispersed out into the world, sharing to bring all the nations under the glory of God. The text in Acts chapter two says, they were all declaring the wonderful work of God. The gospel brings us a new city, a heavenly city that awaits us. On one hand, that means that's the end of racism. It's the end of division. It's the end of war, all the barriers, even the personal barriers in this church. It's the beginning of real security, real safety. If you knew that you are totally secure, if you knew that you were totally safe, you would allow yourself to be vulnerable. You know you're safe. So on the other hand, it's so much more than just security and safety and community because, friends, this marks the end of working and slaving to make a name for yourself. This marks the end of burnout and jealousy. This marks the end of despair and discontent. This is the end of jealousy and envy. And it's the beginning of joy and peace. Shalom. That's what we wanted all along. God came down and destroyed the first temple, the first tower, the temple, Babel, in a provisional way to show us what Jesus would do on the cross to end all temples once and for all by being destroyed, by ending sin. That means that you have access. You know what that means? I mean, we're about to sing in response, right? You can respond. You can go to God where you are right now You don't have to work to get there. You don't have to prove yourself to get there. You don't have to prove yourself to some leader in the church to get there. Where you are right now, you can tear down your temples that you built up in your own lives. End the sacrifice. End the work. End the ascent. 
to earn the love of other people, to earn the love of God that we were so desperate to get into. You're going to get torn down the process when you do that. Tear down the temples instead and receive the one who was torn down himself as the true temple in Jesus. Receive the grace of God for you. Let's pray together.